Okay, Psalm 9. Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to the ninth Psalm. And we'll look at verses 15 and 16, picking up where we left off the last time we spoke. And uh, sometimes we sing songs that say uh, things like, Lord, I want to see you. Um, I want to see Jesus, that type of thing. Have you ever thought about the fact that because the Lord is everywhere and because he controls everything, maybe we see the Lord more than we think we do and we just don't really recognize his hand or his power. And sometimes uh, we get moved. If you go to the Grand Canyon and you watch the sunset over the Grand Canyon, it's pretty easy to be in awe of the Lord and what he's created and how he controls things. Sometimes you may see some things uh, in, the, in the heavens and you look up and you think about the vast expanse of the universe, things we can't even see uh, humanly here on earth, but through our telescopes and things we can see far out the other galaxies. And to think that the Lord Jesus spoke those into existence with a word. That is amazing. And to think that it doesn't implode on itself, it doesn't explode or any of those things because the Lord Jesus is the one, according to Colossians, who not only created it, but he's the one who controls all of it and everything is held together by him. Boy, it's a wonderful thing when you look up in the night sky and maybe you see the red planet Mars or maybe you see the morning star Venus or any of those things and it just is overwhelming when you see that. And uh, sometimes we think about what it'll be like. We sang about it tonight. One of these days we're going to see him face to face and to see the nail prints in his hands and in his feet and what a, what a glorious thing that's going to be. But have you ever thought about how in this fallen world in this world of corruption, in this world of danger, in this world of deceit, in this world that we live in that um, we don't always like, sometimes we get to see the Lord in another way, in retribution. This, the verse we're going to read about tonight talks about how the Lord is not passive, but the Lord, at the right time and in the right way, He executes judgment in this fallen world. And a lot of times our problem is we don't really recognize that as God. We think that seeing God and being in the presence of God is kind of an ecstatic thing, like a roller coaster ride maybe. We think that it is when everything just works out and falls into place and we get that perfect parking spot at the mall or at the shopping center. We think of it as when we go in for a Christmas gift and that sweater we wanted to buy, we got the last one and it's exactly the right color and exactly the right size. And we go, oh, God is so good. Or we talk about it when somebody comes through surgery. We talk about it when somebody is sick and they get well. Oh, God is good. We saw the hand of God and the work of God. And all of those things would be right. God is the one who does those things for us. And he even does not the big things only, but even the little day-by-day -day things. The Bible says he gives us all things freely to enjoy. And we ought to enjoy life. And we ought to enjoy his blessings and the laughter that comes our way. You know, you don't ever just see a, 
a dog sit and admire a sunset and you don't ever see that dog that you love so much just burst out in joyous laughter or tell a joke or say something funny. You don't see that. But God gave us that ability. And I'm convinced that that's what it means to be made in the image of God because I think when we get to heaven, we're going to have a lot of joy and a lot of laughter and we see little splashes of that in our life right now. When you think about what the Bible says about humanity, that we're sinners and we have fallen and uh, we deserve hell for eternity and this world is cursed and it even, according to Paul's writings in Romans, it's groaning even now. We can't hear it, but the earth is groaning under the curse, longing for that day when the Lord returns to reverse the curse. But in the meantime, have you had any fun? Have you enjoyed life? Have you gotten joy out of your kids or out of your grandkids? Have you enjoyed your work? Have you enjoyed spending your paycheck? Maybe you got a bonus sometime this past year and you got to do something extra. Did you enjoy that vacation? All of those kind of things are the splashes of heaven that come into our life every once in a while because heaven will be an eternity of that. And because we'll have glorified bodies... Here's the good news. It'll never get old. We'll never get tired of it. We'll never get bored with it. It's going to be wave after wave after wave after wave of just joy unspeakable, the Bible says, and full of glory. And so we think about that and think about how the Lord brings that into our life. But the other thing is, child of God, you ever had any splashes of hell come into your life? And when we think about the consequences of sin, the wages of sin is death, and we've all experienced that. We need to pray for John Hall because his mother passed away yesterday, and uh, that happens to all of us. And uh, people we love die, and we die, and it's, it's just a part of it. And in the meantime, while we are having those moments of joy and laughter and wonder and awe, we also have pain. We also have things in our bodies that don't work right. We have situations where people betray us and stab us in the back and hurt us or rejection or any of those things. Little splashes of hell that come into our lives. And I'm convinced God gives us both and he protects us from both. There are sometimes you don't need to be giddy and laughing about things. You need to be serious putting on your armor and going to war in a spiritual sense. And then there are other times when you just don't need any more trouble in your life and God gives you a reprieve from it. But sometimes he allows just enough to come into our lives to let us imagine what it must be like. Think about your most depressing moment, your most painful moment. Think about the most dejected you've ever felt, the most depressed you've ever been. And that was a splash of hell, which reminds us that everyone that we know who has not trusted Christ is going to live an eternity of that. Wave after wave after wave of depression, despair, hurt, loneliness. I mean, whatever adjectives you want to use to describe the bad parts of life on earth, that's what they're experiencing and uh, exponentially, and there's no hope and there's no end in sight. The idea that 
in hell, the devil's going to walk around and, you know, poking people with a pitchfork is just mythology. But Jesus told us that the lake of fire is prepared for the devil and his angels. It's a place of punishment for them. I can only imagine what part of hell they're going to be in and how bad it's going to be. But the Bible says, don't fear those who can kill the body, but fear the one who has the power to cast both body and soul into hell. And it's almost too much for us if we just stop and think about it in the terms that I've described. And if we think about what it must be like to never have any reprieve, as bad as life can be down here on earth, we get little reprieves every once in a while. Even when Israel was in slavery in Egypt, they still had the joy of childbirth. They had the joy of of marriage and the relationships that a husband and wife could have. And there were times maybe when they would sing. There were times maybe when something good would happen and something would be a blessing. And it might not have been much, but it was something. Something to get them through. Something that would help them make it through the toil that they had to go through. When you go to hell, there's no break. There's no reprieve from any of that. Why would God allow his children to go through those kind of things? All you have to do is read through Psalms, and you find out that in all of those we look at, yes, there are those that <coughs> pardon me, say, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, and get the instruments out and sing and you know, enjoy all of that. Yeah, there's, there are those. But haven't you noticed there are also those times when God's people cry out, Why? Why, Lord? How long, O Lord? When, O Lord? Those kind of things, those questions we've all asked. And when we think about the fact that God's people go through times, think about Israel's history, that there they were as an independent nation, and they were flourishing under David and then flourishing even more under Solomon, and then Solomon dies. Solomon's nitwit son, Rehoboam, takes over the throne. And the first thing Rehoboam does, because every generation thinks they know more than the generation before, he uh, talks to some of his father's advisors, you know. Eh, they're old, you might as well uh, placate them and appease them, and maybe they might have something good to say. They don't even know how to work an iPhone, but we'll talk to them anyway and kind of appease them, right? And he said, uh, what should I do? And Solomon's advisors, his father's advisors said, look, if you really want to bond with the people, lighten the load of their taxation, and they'll serve you for the rest of their days. But Rehoboam didn't want to listen. Who wants to listen to old people? They don't know anything. This is a modern age, baby. So he talked to his peers, and they said, are you kidding me? This is your chance. You can't let up. You've got to show them who's boss. Keenan paraphrase there. And you tell them, if you think my father was bad, you ain't seen nothing yet. Because my waist will be like my father's little finger. Notice the difference between a little finger and a waist. And what Rehoboam was saying is, this is how my father taxed you. This is how I'm going to tax you. I'm going to show you, and you better like it while we do it. Well, you remember the nation then had a civil war and they divided. Two kingdoms now. 
the kingdom that David ruled over, the kingdom that Solomon ruled over, are now split. A northern kingdom called Israel, a southern kingdom called Judah. Now, I want you to just stop and think. If something were to happen in our nation today, and some people talk about this, let's say that we did have a divorce of red states from blue states or something like that. Now, we may look at that and say, boy, you know, we get rid of all those liberals and all that stuff. But stop and think for just a second. How does that affect all of us? There are things that we have in this part of the country that some of the blue states need. There are things that the blue states have that we need, probably called cash. How would it affect us if the nation were to divide? How would it affect your loyalties? When we lived in Berlin, one of the saddest things would be to be driving down a street, a perfectly fine street, a normal-looking street, houses, businesses, uh, subway stops, the buses, those kind of things, and then you would turn a corner, and all of a sudden there is that, that cursed wall. And that wall was just built arbitrarily on the... Uh, well, not arbitrarily, excuse me. The wall was built purposely on the border. Berlin was an occupied city. There was a Soviet sector controlled by Russia. There was an American sector. There was a British sector. And there was a French sector. The American, British, and French sector were free. And they were prosperous. Travel, uh, they could get out of Berlin back to West Germany. It was a... 110 miles inside of East Germany. And uh, the Soviet sector, though, was heavily restricted. And people were leaving from the Soviet sector, coming into the West Berlin part, and then they were flying out on planes to West Germany or England or wherever to freedom. So the Soviets and the East Germans built a wall to ring their people in. Now, they said it was to keep the filthy capitalist pigs out, but the truth was they were keeping their own people in. And when they built that wall in, uh, I believe it was August of 1961, the wall was not constructed all out of new material. It was sometimes the front of an apartment building, the front of a house. Sometimes it went right through a house, and there would be a house or an apartment building where on this one side, it was free in part of the west, but the wall went up in the middle of it and right through your bedroom uh, was the other side where it was not free and families were divided people lost jobs because a lot of people that were in the west worked in the east part of Berlin now all of a sudden they can't travel back and forth they have no jobs families are divided there are people they didn't see for years and one side is very prosperous west Berlin very up-to-date very modern very techno uh, technologically advanced east Berlin uh, still for the most part, except for the show places that they wanted you to see. But the other part, very gray, very drab, very old. In fact, when we were over there in East Berlin, we ventured out of Alexanderplatz, the show place. And over here were these decrepit buildings that people were living in that still had bullet holes from World War II. Okay? And so neither, neither nation, West Germany or East Germany, neither nation did as well as they did when they were united. Because you remember from your history, when Germany was united, they almost, almost defeated all of us in World War II. It was close for a while. But divided 
East Berlin was pathetically poor. And West Berlin was doing well, but they couldn't defend themselves. We had to be there. The British had to be there. The French had to be there. Or West Berlin would have been taken over in a moment's notice. Okay? Now, think about how that would be and how it affected Israel when the kingdom now is split. Resources are split. Talent is split. Population is split. Loyalties are split. All of those things are happening. This is, this is how they're going through uh, life, living life. And as if it couldn't get any worse, both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, the southern kingdom to a lesser degree, started worshiping idols. And God started sending his prophet, prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet, telling them, repent and get right, or destruction is coming. What kind of destruction? Well, they didn't have bombs the way we have bombs. What people did back in those days is they came in and they conquered. And when they conquered, they literally ravaged the land that they conquered. They took the best and the brightest of the people. They took the money. They took the gold. They took the silver. They took any kind of technology they might have. And they exported it to their place and left this prosperous country being nothing but an empty shell. The Russians did that in Berlin, by the way, with their sector. And they took the factories apart, dismantled them, and took them to Moscow. Even took some parts of the main square where the government buildings were and put those bricks in Red Square in, in Moscow. Well, that's what happens. And it devastates everything. And so now, after Nebuchadnezzar comes, destroys the temple, takes all of the treasure and the best and brightest of the nobility's children away... What do they have left? Nothing. And what do the people that are taken away have? Oh Lord, why are we in Babylon? How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And it says they hung their harps on the willow trees because they didn't have a song anymore. There was no joy in their life. They were someplace they were not supposed to be. And it was because of their sin. And every year at Passover, even in Babylon, when they would get together and celebrate the Passover, they would end it by saying, next year, next year in Jerusalem. Next year in Jerusalem. But for 70 years, that didn't happen until Cyrus the Great, the Persian king, allowed the nations that were in Babylon to go back to their homeland and rebuild their temples. And Israel, of course, did that. But the temple was never the same as it was under Solomon. And life was never the same as it was before the exile. They struggled. And then they're occupied, conquered by not only the uh, uh, Babylonians and the Persians, but after they get back home after the exile, then the Greeks, Alexander the Great, come and conquer them. Do we ever get a break, O Lord? It's kind of what you see in some of the Psalms. And then about the time they get a little bit of a break from that, here come the Romans. You've, of course, heard of the Caesars and the Roman Empire, and the Romans conquered Palestine, and so now they're under another one. I mean, think about that. How many lifetimes is it from A.D. 70, pardon me, not A.D. 70, 586 B.C. Yeah, I was thinking, that's not right. Uh, my brain works sometimes, a little slow, but it works. 586 B.C., that's 586 years before the birth of Christ. How many lifetimes is that? That's, what, 
roughly a little more than two lifetimes of the USA. And we think about George Washington. You know, when I was a kid, I called him Washington. And, and no joke, in first grade, I could not figure out why the R was not in there. So when you grow up, you know, in the family of Hicks, you use a wash rag and you uh, talk about George Washington. And uh, you think about how long ago that seems. Think about in Israel, how long has it been since you've been free? Two plus lifetimes of the United States of America. Where's the hope? What happens in all of that? What, what, what's this stuff about covenant? What's this stuff about Israel being the prime real estate in the world? And Messiah ruling and reigning. They couldn't see it. They didn't see it. Would you have? Not with your natural mind. Not with your natural eyes. And so the Jews were constantly in sorrow and in oppression. And so you can see when they would write these things in the Psalms, you know, what's going on. And so we have this particular verse, verse 15. The nations have sunk down in the pit which they have made. In the net which they hid, they set a trap for somebody else and they fell in it. Their own foot is caught. The Lord is known how? Now, I would expect him to say, by his love, by his grace, by his power, by Israel not being under all of this oppression. But it doesn't say that, does it? The Lord is known or recognized, that's our word and our title, by the judgment he executes. Uh-oh. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Then it puts a strange word in there if you've got a modern translation. My translation puts it down. It says meditation. That's the time as they would be singing this because it was a song. That's the time when they would stop and meditate on the Lord, on their history. Their history was very, very well known to them. We kind of have to go over it like I just did and take way too much time with it, but we have to be reminded of it. They didn't. That's all they had heard. That's all they had known. Think about it. And don't you know when they were meditating on this, they were saying, when, 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 oh Lord. And then Selah. Take a pause there before you go on. And so that's what we're going to do. And I want to make these points tonight. And number one, there's a contrast to be seen. And that's found in verse 15. And we just take the first two words, the nations. We've got to talk about that. Because sometimes it seems, if you're one of the people of God... If you were in Ukraine tonight and bombs were falling all around you, you might have a different attitude than you do living here in America. If you were a Jew living in Israel during these times, you might hear about all of this, and in your Sabbath schools, you've heard about the covenant that God has made and all of that. But it seems like, at this point, Israel is not very distinct Israel's just been mixed up and jumbled up and thrown together. 
we've got some Legos at our house. And Sammy and I don't really play with them, but we've got some kids who do. And sometimes they may leave one out. And I'm barefoot, stepping on a Lego, I'm, I'm telling you, I, God told me it's worse than childbirth, ladies. That, that's, that's divine revelation right there. No, I'm kidding. And in that tub where the Legos go, every once in a while, sometimes people, Maverick sitting down here, I'm sure he's the guilty one, sometimes wooden blocks get put in with the Legos. And they don't belong in there. They don't go together in there, Right? Can't use the wooden blocks and the Legos. But sometimes they get all jumbled up and you don't know it until you pour them all out. And you go, oh, well, move that one and move that one and move that one. And Israel probably felt like that God shook up the world, all of these empires. I mean, these empires didn't escape any of this stuff. They would conquer one another. And so when the Babylonian empire was conquered by the Persians, it wasn't so good for the Babylonians either. And when the Persians are conquered by the Greeks, well, it wasn't so good for them either. And when the Romans conquered the Greeks, that wasn't a great deal for them either. I mean, and it's like everything got jumbled up and shaken up together and then just kind of thrown out. And Israel's thinking, where are we? Where are the promises? What's going on? And so the psalmist says, he starts off here by saying the nations. That's the Hebrew word goyim. That's the word for Gentiles. You and I would be the goyim, according to the psalmist and people in Israel. But it's not just that if you're not in Israel, you're toast. It's not so much about that. They didn't really uh, have nations and things like we do. It's more of a, of a, a racial type thing. We are of the Gentiles. They are of the Jews. Israel worshipped God. All of the rest of the nations, the goyim, they would worship idols that they made by their own hands, doing unspeakable things, a lot of sexually perverted things. That's where our heritage kind of comes from. And so uh, there's a contrast to be seen. Because when we read this, this psalmist is talking not to so much to uh, the goyim, the Gentiles, those who reject God and worship false gods. But he's talking to his own people. There's a day coming is what these verses are telling us when God's going to settle all of this and everything's going to come right. In other words, I think what he is telling them is no matter how you feel or how it seems, you're not just a wooden block in the midst of a bunch of Legos. You're not just mixed in arbitrarily. God still has his eye on you and he still has his heart set on you, O Israel, O people of God. And I think we could say the same thing today. As God rules and reigns over this universe and over this earth, he has not forgotten his people. He has not forgotten you. You're not just jumbled in to suffer with everyone else. I was thinking um, about this today and uh, kind of praise chance. The uh, new John MacArthur podcast came out today and I was listening to a little bit of it before I came in here. And he was on a Zoom call with some missionaries that he had known for three decades that are in Ukraine. 
And while he's in there in Ukraine, the executive pastor at Grace Community Church begins to speak. And if you listen, you go, wait a minute, he's got a little, he doesn't sound like he's from California. He sounds like a Russian. He was. He was raised in Russia. And he's talking to Ukrainians from California. And he makes this statement to the Ukrainians and to the missionaries. I was just reading about Martin Lloyd-Jones. Who is that? A prominent preacher in London in the 1940s through the 60s. Martin Lloyd-Jones held services, stood behind his pulpit and preached while German bombers were bombing London. Made a big impression on people there. And this man was saying, May God grant that you make the same impression there as you worship and teach the Word of God while bombs are falling all around you. You know what he was saying? Point number one. The people of God aren't just lumped in with everyone else. God has a purpose for them being there. God has a purpose for us being here. God has a purpose for those times when he allows hell to splash over into our lives because then we can testify of the goodness and the grace of God. And we can encourage one another with hope. It will not always be this way. Our trials down here on earth are light. They are momentary. They are temporary. And the half has not been told of what we're going to experience when we get to heaven. So do you feel like you're just kind of lumped in and God's forgotten you? He hasn't. That's why he calls attention to the goyim, the nations. And we're on the New Testament side, so we too are the people of God, not lumped in together. And the Lord is not just arbitrarily dealing things out to humans and forgetting about us. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal... The Lord knows those who are His. Can't fool Him. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. There's our job assignment. No matter what's going on, no matter what bombs are falling around us, depart from iniquity because the Lord knows you if you indeed belong to Him. In John chapter 10 verse 26, it says, Jesus speaking, But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. What's the difference? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. Isn't that good? I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Why? Because there's a distinction. Secondly, I want you to notice that the Lord's enemies are doomed. They're doomed. In fact, the psalmist says that the nations have done what? Sunk down. Boy, is that ever true? We're watching nations all around us, including our own. Boy, they're having a sinking spell, aren't they? But notice what he says. They sink down in the pit which they have made. They're falling into their own trap. Life doesn't make sense anymore. Even liberals are stepping all over themselves and saying things that they don't mean, contradicting themselves, and their own systems don't even work. They're crumbling. A lot of us in here were old enough to see the Soviet Union crumble and to see that wall that I spoke of in Berlin come tumbling down like the walls of Jericho. Why? Because their systems can't work. They're unsustainable. 
And so what happens? They sink down into the pit which they have made, into the net which they hid. Picture a hidden net covered over with leaves and grass to catch a certain animal. And then the hunter runs through it and he trips it and all of a sudden he's caught in his own net. That's the picture that the psalmist is writing for it. The net which they hid, their own foot is caught. And that's by the design of God. And of course he's speaking spiritually, morally, ethically, that type of thing. Proverbs 26, 26 says, Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness shall be exposed in the assembly. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. Can you imagine you're starting to roll a stone to go down and get enemy soldiers and somehow you get caught up under it and you get rolled over by the very stone you were using to kill somebody else. That's the picture. You reap what you sow. And God hasn't forgotten that. That's not just his way of disciplining his children. That's what the world is destined for. Whoever digs a pit will fall in it and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. In the Psalms, in Psalm 94, verse 22, it says, But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord, our God, will wipe them out. There's a judgment day coming. There is a day of reckoning, as we say, that is coming. And God hasn't forgot about it. God is not taking a nap. God is not just letting it slide. He's got his eye on you and his people everywhere. He's taking care of you. He's going to bless you. He's got a place in heaven reserved for you. His spirit dwells within you. And the wicked are not just getting away with everything. There's a day coming when they are going to face the highest court of all. And that's why in the book of Amos, it tells people there, prepare to meet thy God, because every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I think of Haman in the book of Esther, so proud, so arrogant, and wanting to wipe out all of the Jews and do a genocide, a holocaust, if you please. And he sets up a gallows for it, And you remember as the turn of events comes out, how does Haman die? He is hung by King Artaxerxes on the very gallows he had prepared for the people of God. That's what this psalm is talking about, and that's what the picture is. They're so arrogant and smug, but it's going to come back to bite them because you do reap what you sow. And number three, watch. You can see the Lord in his retribution. If you ever look around in the world and you see somebody getting what they deserve or you see something evil and wicked and awful and oppressive and horrible fall apart and people come to justice, you know what you've just seen? You've just seen the handiwork of the Lord just like you would at the Grand Canyon or in the Hubble telescope. That is the work of the Lord. The psalmist says here in verse 16, the Lord is known how by the judgment He executes. There's not enough fear of God anymore, is there? Not sometimes even among the people of God. And the world certainly doesn't. They use his name blasphemously and in vain every single day, multiple times a day. And they think because nothing happens and, oh, no big deal. 
There is no God, or if there is a God, he's asleep, or he's on vacation, or he's such an old fool, he doesn't care what is happening. And yet, there are those times when it happens, when it happens, and we see these things, and we point at other people and say, your policies, your ideas, your philosophies don't work, and you're getting what you deserve in all of this. You know what, as Christians, we ought to look at, not gloating, not with glee, but we ought to look at that in awe. And when we see governments collapse like the Soviet Union did, that is the hand of God. When we see other nations preserved in time of war, absolutely amazing that little Ukraine is standing up against powerful Russia. Now, I don't think they're going to make it, but it's amazing how far they've come. Why do they do that? Because the hand of God has not been taken off of them to allow Russia to overcome them yet. Why is it that we have won most of the wars that we have fought? Because of the hand of God and the blessing of God. But when you see nations fall and you see people getting what they deserve and you see the same people that were so wicked and evil, think about how many terrorists that wouldn't hesitate to blow you up and yet they cry like a baby and hide behind their wives and their children like bin Laden did whenever the retribution comes. And what is that retribution? It is the hand of God. We see God in all of that. So as we watch our nation and we watch the judgments coming upon us, and I do believe we're under judgment, what are we supposed to do when we look at that? Fear? Cower? Hide? Complain? Gripe? Fuss? No. It is the hand of God that raises up nations, and it is the hand of God by which they fall. Give glory to the Lord. We tend to see the Lord when good things happen, but we also need to see Him when the times of judgment come according to this, because the promises of God are positive, but they're also negative, aren't they? And God is just as faithful to keep the negative ones as He is the positive ones. That's why it says in Galatians 6, 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. You don't plant corn and harvest apples, do you? And in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 46, If they sin against you, Solomon says, For there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them, speaking of Israel, and give them up to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy. Boy, this was prophetic, wasn't it? Far off and near. Yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive, and they repent and plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, We have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly, if they repent with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who carried them captive and pray to you toward their land which you gave their fathers, the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for you, speaking of the temple for your name, then hear in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause. You know what Solomon is saying? That even in captivity, Israel should have said, while they were in handcuffs and chains, 
This is the hand of God. This is what was promised. This is what was prophesied. Our God rules and reigns even over us. The Babylonians never could have come in if God had not allowed them to come in. But they came. God is faithful to his word. And so we need to look around and as we see people reaping what they sow, we need to have compassion on them. And we also need to have praise in our hearts because God is proving his word to be true. And number four, the ungodly are their own worst enemy. This is what is amazing. People have been saying after this horrible school shooting in Uvalde, doesn't that break your heart? Oh, pray for us. Isn't that ironic? They don't want your prayer in school, but they want you to pray now. Something about that is just kind of weird, isn't it? And you look around at the world that doesn't quite seem to just always make sense, does it? Doesn't seem that like it's consistent. It seems out of whack. And even people that are on the more liberal side of things from where I am, even poll after poll, they say the U.S. is headed in the wrong direction. Why? Because the things we're doing just don't work. They don't make sense. And yet we have to live in it, don't we? You know what the Bible says? The wicked are their own worst enemy. Think about it. Think about it. We want to be free to have sex anytime, anywhere, and with anyone and however we choose. Then when sexually transmitted diseases come out, they don't know how to handle it. Then when families break apart and instead of having a happy life, they find out that this was the worst thing. It was like a curse that came upon me. What's going on? And they can't figure it out because they're their own worst enemy. Own worst enemy. The very things that they do and they say, yeah, baby, we're free, are the very things that destroy them. How many people, how many lives, how many families has the freedom to use alcohol turned into a trap? A snare that grabs a hold of the very person that proclaimed how free they were? What about drugs? What about things like AIDS over the years? Oh, we're free. And yet it turns out to be nothing but bondage. I want to tell you something. The person who goes on the internet and they say, here's my problem. I was born the wrong gender. If I could just get my gender changed then I'd be happy. Do you know the suicide rate is extremely high right now among transgender people? That ought not make you gloat. That ought not make you happy. That ought to make you weep. Because they thought they were pursuing something that was going to liberate them. And what happened? Just the opposite. But you and I have experienced that too. If I could just get that new job... If I could just get this certain salary, then life would be good and I'd be happy if I could only drive this kind of car or live in this kind of house. How many of you have been disappointed with those kind of things? It's the way life is. And that's what happens when we look to anyone or anything besides God to actually bring us joy. And that's what Israel did. If I could just worship that idol, boy, if I could do those rituals, if I could have the fun the Canaanites are having, man, life would be great. And what happened? 
hurt, destruction, devastation, enslavement, all of those kind of things. And that's why the Bible says in the New Testament, all these things that we've been talking about for the last 40 minutes were written for what? Our admonition. So that we won't be like them. We learn from previous generations of the people of God. We learn from them. At least we're supposed to. And so when the Bible says, meditate it, think about it. Don't be like Ananias and Sapphira who thought they could cover everything up from God and pretend to be something that they were not. Oh, the church is full of hypocrites. Boy, you're right about that. You're right about that. We're all hypocritical to one degree or another. We're all sinners, right? We're growing and learning. But Ananias and Sapphira did it on purpose. Hey, we can look like we gave, sold this land and we gave it all to the Lord. And man, we're going to look like we're super Christians. And they paid for it with their life. God doesn't tolerate sin and hypocrisy the way that we think he does. And it comes back on us. A Florida driver had been uh, drunk driving, and he had a four DWIs. And so uh, when he applied for a new license, he pretended to be his former neighbor. Identity theft, right? Unfortunately for him, he was then arrested because his old neighbor was actually a sex offender who had failed to comply with the law and put his name uh, on the state register. What's that? Isn't that a good summation of what this psalm is talking about? This is the world in which you live and people that you love, that you're around, that are going to fall into their own pit and into their own net. And so, Selah, we're going to stop. We're going to bow our heads and we're going to pray for this world and pray for people that we love that are getting ready to stumble and fall into their own pit and they don't even know it. But we don't have any excuse because we do. And we need to love them. And we need to rescue them. And we need to pray for them. And we need to share the gospel with them because that is the only hope that they have in a fallen and falling, let's say, falling world. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we think about how many people we know that are, like we said in that last part, they're their own worst enemy. They can't seem to get it straight. They can't seem to get out. They can't seem to understand. They can't seem to see the right way. And we know that destruction is coming. We know where they are headed. And it's not where they intend to go. It's not where they want to go. And it makes us sad to think about it. We think about a person that 30 years ago they had so much hope, they had so much talent, they had so many dreams and plans, but they've abused their bodies, they've ruined their minds, they've destroyed relationships, and now they're just a shell of who they were. And they hurt, and they have much, much, much regret. And we can understand that. And we pray for them. We pray, Lord, for a world that will tell us and encourage us. Ah, go ahead. It won't hurt anything. And then it does hurt. And they're not there to help. 
They don't have anything to offer. And people all around us are hurting and they're dying and they're destroying themselves. You're the only answer, O oh Lord. Give us the compassion of Jesus Christ to help where we can. And while we're helping, while we're showing love, while we're being a friend, let us show them Jesus. Let us tell them the gospel about a God who loved us so much that he sent his son to this wicked, horrible earth to live a perfect life in spite of everything and to die on the cross and to bear the punishment we deserved and the wrath of God was put on him instead of us. And he rose from the dead and he reigns and rules at the right hand of God the Father. And anyone who will trust him, he will save and he'll rescue. Oh Lord, may that old hymn, Rescue the Perishing, become something that is on our mind and more than that, in our heart as we see people who desperately need to hear the good news of Christ and desperately need someone to care about them and someone to help them. And may, Lord, you open up doors where we can be those people. We confess it's not natural to us. We're selfish like everybody else. We tend to think as long as my family's taken care of, it doesn't really matter about anybody else. <clears throat> Forgive us. Open doors no man can shut. Shut doors no man can open. And we'll give you the praise and the glory as we see your hand, not only in the beautiful things, but even in judgment that falls upon people and nations. It reminds us your promises are true, even the negative ones. It's a fearful thing, the Bible says, to fall in the hands of a living God. Help us to remember that before we ever try to tell that to the world. And we pray, Father, that as you do this, you would work in us, you would work on us, and certainly work through us. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.